This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking It, Chapter 2. You'll float two? We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to other fun movie topics. This is episode 376. 376. The ripe number for a clown movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and for 376, we are talking It... Chapter two, no colons. It's not even a hyphen, or it's not even an abbreviated chapter. It's just fully spelled out. It's yeah, it's it chapter two, and it's a numerical, yeah. or not a numerical. Sorry, an alphabetical two. An alpha? Oh, they wrote out it's, the it's number written two. Out two. Got yes. it. Oh, okay. Because I'd seen somewhere it's just like it chapter two with a number two, but I guess well, those people I mean, are wrong. When you write out the number two, then you don't have to have a colon, right? I suppose you so. know grammar more than I do. And also they did the right thing because I've heard that if it's under 10, you should write it out. And if it's over 10, you can use the numbers. And plus, if, I was if at... there's one thing I know about Pennywise that he always does the right thing. <laughs> I was, I was actually making a bowel movement joke and nobody got it. Oh, well, I got it. I just stepped two, over because we're two, above that colon. kind of crassness on out now. There. <laughs> <laughs> also Pennywise. He's, that's why he's taking all those kids. He just wants them to learn grammar. That's that's what he's doing in the sewers. <laughs> and this has been Out Now's Grammar Corner. Um, <laughs> joining us to discuss It Chapter 2, we have, from superhero hype and Forbes, he's a gunslinger causing real misery to those Tommyknockers who dare take a stand. It's Luke Thompson. <laughs> Dang, that was good. Very impressive. And here I come in with like, oh, number two comes out of the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a real Richie in this scenario. <laughs> but, no, <laughs> but no, Luke, how are you doing? Glad to have you back with us here. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a trash mouth. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's, uh, it is good. I was going to say it's good, and then I realized like it would sound like I was talking about the movie. But the movie, it is good, too. But we'll get to that. We'll get there. Uh, but yeah, no, glad to have you here, of course. Uh, let's see. Let's go over some show notes before we get into the uh, the fun stuff here, which implies that I guess this is the boring stuff. So be prepared, guys. Uh, <laughs> be prepared to go to Snoozeville while I talk about the, the boring show notes. Um, unfortunately, Abe, we did not get him over to the clowns only screening of It Chapter Two at the Alamo Draft House. We did not. However, Sad music, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a great experience for those that didn't attend. I, I left that note because I wanted to look up how that screening went. So I will do that and probably post on our Facebook page later on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's Facebook.com slash on podcast, of course. Speaking of things you can find us on and do things about, iTunes reviews and ratings... That's the best segue I've had ever for iTunes ratings. <laughs> um, you can log on to iTunes, search for our show. If you're if you're into the snooze fest that I described already, let alone the other nonsense we've already talked about concerning grammar, and look forward to the other stuff we're going to talk about, we have a bunch of shows that do just that. And you can go to iTunes, you can find them, but you can also rate and review said shows. You just give us a, you know give us a star rating, and then write a little review. That'd be great. Thank you so much in advance. For sure. And let's see what else. Uh, we okay. This just came out. This is already out. So by the time you're hearing this, it should be on. This is on iTunes already. We have a, a special bonus episode. Professor Mike Dillon and I talked about the film Official Secrets. It's the new film from director Gavin Hood, who previously directed Eye in the Sky, which we did. It's a good a, movie. Yeah, it is a good movie, and we did an episode on that a couple years back. So this is more like this is like a spiritual sequel to that episode, um, where it involves another kind of. Uh, 
just uh, it's based on true events this time um but it's a it's a interesting story um and we wanted I, mike jumped at me to be like hey you want to talk about this movie because it's just like well, we did the, we talked about eye in the sky and it's like yeah so we talked we talked about that film as well as gavin hood as a director in general because he's had a pretty interesting career so far <laughs> between yeah. wolverines and british political thrillers so uh, yeah that's uh, that's up on itunes now um let's see speaking of bonus episodes our summer gamble had come to an end uh, if you haven't listened to that Congratulations already, again, Aaron. thank you. If you haven't listened to that already, that was a lot of fun because we went over the basically the entire summer at the movies, which was a fun way to kind of go over that information as well as, you know, crown the champion of the eighth annual summer movie gamble. Um, what else? Uh, commentary track. We have a new commentary coming uh, in honor of Rambo colon last blood. We're going to be talking about first blood this month, which is a solid uh, post Vietnam war movie for sure. So, um, yeah, that's going to be, we're going to record that sometime pretty soon before, presumably before The Last Blood comes out. So yeah, get uh, get ready for that one because that's going to be fun. Do you think it's actually going to be The Last Blood? I mean, it's it's called Last Blood. I mean, Luke, what would what would the what would the sequel to Last Blood be called if they made a sequel? The sequel to Last Blood. Um... I mean, this is a pretty unconventional friend when you have First Blood, what? First Blood, Rambo Part 2, or no, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Rambo, Rambo First 3, Blood Part 2. and then Rambo, <laughs> and now it's Last Blood. So you could Blood. call well, considering the director's cut of Part Four was called John Rambo, it could be called John Rambo Two: Last Blood Part Two. There you, there you there go. You, that is actually what they're going to use. So there you go. You're welcome, Hollywood. Or maybe Rambo, comma John. <laughs> <laughs> it's his dog tags. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Rambo: Last Blood Part Two makes a lot of sense. I like that one. That, that sounds good. All right, but yes, that is the next commentary track for First Blood. Um, that again, like I said, that should be a lot of fun, and I think that's gonna do it for show notes this week. Uh, I got a lot of stuff on the pile here as far as contest goes, so we should come up with Hit something. Abe. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll come up with something soon enough to to get another contest going. Get or if you just <laughs> raise your hand politely and say, "Hey, send me a DVD," we're probably gonna do that. <laughs> <It's not honest. laughs> because Aaron has a lot of stockpile. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> so if you're listening, go ahead and do it. <laughs> Oh, limit five because we just want to test it out. <laughs> All right, let's get to some know everybody. Each week we ask each other a request or two, try to set the tone for the podcast. Better get to know, know everybody. everybody. It's been a few weeks. So that was good. That was pretty good. That was pretty on target. Yeah, I thought so. I have a question for you guys. Yes. All right. Have you ever been creeped out by a statue? Yeah, all the time. I mean, there, <laughs> what does this mean? Yeah, there's. I mean, well, if you're walking in the dark and you don't expect something it's kind of spooky right how many statues do you tend to walk by in the dark Gabe? well not a lot but i think that there's a well there was one on the berkeley campus um it's a one of the old football coaches it's it's near where the staff and the professor lounges and if you're walking there at nighttime and you don't know what you're gonna run into it's kind of spooky because he's kneeling with his hand out and it's it's weird Okay. Berkeley people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, if you watch Doctor Who, there are entire sets of episodes that are devoted to making you scared of statues because the whole idea is that when you don't look at them, they move. And if you keep not looking at them, they come up and grab you and pull you back through time. So, yeah, weeping angels, I am creeped out by. There you go. How about you, Aaron? Are you spooked? I mean, not so I, you sound like you're not so spooked. I'm trying to think of a specific instance where a statue has alarmed me in some way. I ask this question because it chapter two features a seminal scene involving 
who was a person who was going to be on the show today, the person that played the Paul Bunyan statue, Mark Johnson, he's in the film as the Paul as the Paul Bunyan statue, and that was one of the few parts that actually creeped me out. I was like, I didn't see that coming. It's a big statue. <laughs> I can see, yeah, I see the resemblance with their beards. Well, there's no resemblance. It's Mark Johnson playing Paul Bunyan the statue. I don't know. Abe, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he had a great, uh, he had a great part. He's very, he's clearly very busy. He's getting a lot of traction from being the statue in It Chapter Two. <laughs> He's doing a press tour. We can't blame him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I'm try. I, I mean, I my thought when I asked this question was, well, there's the haunted mansion at the, at Disneyland where it has the statues that are designed to look at you anywhere you stand. And I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. neat, but that doesn't really scare me. That's just kind of what my mind goes to. I, sure. I'll come back to this if I can actually think of a scenario where there's been statues that creep me out. Yeah, and technically I, those aren't statues; they're relief. They're busts, I guess. <laughs> No, they're relief because yeah. they're made of negative space. They're oh, I see not what statues. you're saying. Yeah, they're not actually statues. They're designed to look like statues. I see what you're saying. That's a that's a that's a good call though. That's a good pull. Uh, question for you guys: Are there enough uh, bike races in movies these days? Well, like see. bicycle, Defi- not motorcycle. Bicycle races. Hmm. Define enough. <laughs> I guess. Can there uh, be enough? Is there such you, a have thing? Have you been as fulfilled as the BMX bike chase from ET uh, in the past 25 years I mean, <laughs> since I, that movie has come out? When I think of bike races, my mind tends to go to uh, the Triplets of Belleville, of course. Uh, oh, great animated. animated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, Pee Wee Herman at the Tour de France is the That's classic a one. That's from... a yeah. He won that, too. Well, he did. I, and for, for, for years, I thought the entire movie was a hallucination. It was all a dream he had because he won the Tour de France, as opposed to the opposite, which I think is the actual interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the answer is no. There are not enough movies with bike races. <laughs> there you go. Like if Tim Burton announced a sequel to Pee Wee's Big another sequel. That yeah, he like actually... he did one at Netflix, yeah. right? Well, Pee Wee Pee Wee had a, a a new movie on Netflix, but there was also Pee Wee's what Big Top Pee Wee, of course, which was not directed by Tim Burton. So if there was a leg well, sequel not... <laughs> where Tim Burton comes back, and Big Top Pee Wee really wasn't a direct sequel. Yeah, it was more of just like another day in the life of Pee Wee, like you know, yeah. <laughs> because really that's what it's going to be. I mean, but if they made a sequel and they could. You know, they could they could call out like the reboot of the movie that ends Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Tim Burton. It could, I have ideas, guys. Let me tell you. Yeah, it's something you've been thinking about this for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna email this to paul.rubens at gmail dot com and see what I come back with. He, he's got he's just got Paul Rubens. Why would he? <laughs> I don't know. Celebrities tend to have like numbers in their emails so that nobody can guess them. I guarantee they don't because they assume that you'll think they're more complicated than they actually are. I'm gonna email Brad Pitt right now and let's see what happens. <laughs> Just make sure that two. T- I mean, I, I have a fan theory about Pee Wee Herman in the movies, and I don't know if I don't think I came up with this. I think I read it somewhere, but it really makes sense to me, which is that somewhere in time, Pee Wee Herman murdered his parents, and he stayed at that development rate as a child for the rest of his life. And the entire town humors him and calls him a boy because they're afraid he'll murder them if he doesn't. That's interesting. And the ghost of, or yeah, his his dad's ghost inhabits the couch. I get it. It makes yeah. sense, and then what, he vacations in Gotham, and that's where he had the penguin and sent him down the sewers before leaving yeah. again? Well, that that makes it even better, actually. I hadn't put those two together, but yeah, there could be a whole Gotham, unifying... Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, we should yeah. totally put that together. So he get he grows up, he marries Dot, 
divorces Dot, marries that rich lady, and then they have the penguin son. This all then, adds up in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then how do we tie in Gotham, where he has, where he's the different version of the penguin's yeah, father? Yeah, for those that aren't aware, the, the TV show Gotham yeah. features Paul Rubens once again oh. as, as another character in the in Penguin's life. It's actually pretty clever. I was like, that's a good casting move right there, but. Uh... Anyway, I think we've gone on this long enough. That's he survives a... the trauma of the Arrested Development, and then he has another trauma, and Arrested Development is the Penguin's dad. There. So, yeah, just yeah. a pattern. Yeah. With all that said, that's how you play. Mm-hmm. No, everybody. All right, let's move on now. Let's get to some out-now quickies. Trademark. Each week and out-now, we have one main movie week that we talk about with other movie of the week that we're going to do quickies. Registered trademark. I was happy with that one. Pretty good. Abe, what other movies have you seen recently? I have not seen any of the movies. However, I did start watching The Righteous Gemstones on HBO. And if you like Danny McBride and you know his kind of humor, along with like Jody Hill, his his writing partner, and his and directing Gordon partner, Green, David Gordon Green, yeah, yeah, then you'll 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 like this type of off-brand like religious humor. What I like about the characters <laughs> are that they actually do believe in what they're saying. They're just bad people. Meaning, well, yeah, like the, they're not. The show, They're not I going mean, around like trying to just like get money from people because uh, of the church or whatever. They they firmly believe that they're trying to save souls and they they believe in the gospel and they believe in the Bible, but they're just like awful people like out of, uh, away from the church kind of thing. The show's it's very a, some very big strides to not make fun of re- the the religious, but make fun of it, it's, it's very specific of not naming a, a like a denomination of anything. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it's very much being making sure you're aware that the characters are the idiots. <laughs> that's Yeah, yeah. That's the, and, um, that's the thing. Uh, I'm on the, like, the third episode where his, uh, his son Gideon has come back, but then you start to realize that even John Goodman, who has been so far, like, you know, the, the, the patriarch. Pious. Yeah, the most pious, the most patriarchal, <laughs> and also, like, the, the, like, the most even-keeled, they definitely get it from him, because they're just... Yeah, he's he's also like a a, a jerk. <laughs> so it's it's actually a really cool uh kind of show, and I'm I'm curious to see how it goes because you know Danny McBride directed the first one, and I was like, oh, this is actually a pretty good job, Danny McBride. Good good on you here for uh, being able to corral all this stuff together. But that's what I've been watching lately. I've been catching up on some HBO and Crashing, but Crashing here ended. and there, not as much as uh, Crashing ended uh, like months ago, <laughs> a few months ago. But I still was catching up on season three. Luke. What have you seen recently? I just saw for the first time The Witches by Nicholas Rogue because oh. the Warner the Warner Archive Collection just put it out, and I think it deserves a whole lot better than just a bare-bones archive collection. But that said, it's an archive collection one worth checking out. It's, uh, I mean, no, you know, seeing it now as an adult is probably more effective than as a kid because I see, like, this is Nicholas Rogue doing a Nicholas Rogue horror movie, and there just happen to be kids in it, and it's kind of remarkable. And certainly, in contrast to something like it today, everything in it is tangible. Like you don't feel anything artificial is going to come out in this real world. It is the real world, but the way everyone's attitudes are, and the setting, and just the weird, slow atmosphere is what's terrifying. And it's kind of a masterclass in what he does. <laughs> uh, I get Roald Dahl's objection to the ending. Um, I think it was obligatory. I think you had to have a happy ending because it's a Nicholas Rogue horror movie and you're selling it to kids. You cannot end it with... I, well, I don't know if I want to spoil a you movie this spoil, old, yeah. but, yeah. but uh, there was an ending that, while not an unhappy one entirely, was not the full-on happy ending you would expect from a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the movie went full happy and 
I understand why, but it's still the weirdest, most incongruous part of the film. Mm, interesting. I have to wonder, but which is Nicholas Rogue's most like straightforward movie? I Are you asking so. me if it is? I'm, 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 I'm wondering it aloud and see if, mm. if, if you have any th- thoughts on this. I mean, I mean, unless you want to say that, like, Don't Look Now is a more conventional horror movie, which it, it arguably is. I mean, is. Yeah. The Witches is not necessarily a conventional kids movie, which sure. it was pushed as. But I'm also I'm surprised that a movie that Jim Henson had such a big hand in is getting such a bare bones DVD because you'd think the Henson Company probably has a ton of additional material lying around. Yeah, maybe I mean, not. Or but... archive. I mean, they put most of the effort into the transfer itself, and so it's like if they have the chance to do like archival, like bring up some archival stuff that's out there, they will. But they don't tend to be the most stock- packed releases when they put stuff out. Certainly for, like, catalog films. You can put it on with a sticker saying, from the creators of The Dark Crystal, The Dark Crystal now on Netflix. Well, maybe that's not enough synergy because they don't want to promote Netflix, I, think I guess. I think that'd be more of the problem, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, cool. Um, I've seen a couple things I want to make note of. Uh, first is Shadow. This is the new uh, Yang Zimao, uh, oh. Zhang Zimao film. Uh, yeah. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. <laughs> this movie rocks. Um the as opposed to other Yamal films that like rely a lot on color, this one uses various forms of black, gray, and white. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, the story, the story is it's somewhat inconsequential, but it, it involves a lot of betrayals, double crosses, and some melodrama, uh, which is pretty typical for most of Yamal's films at this point. But I mean, it it's just the way it's all presented and handled to you um, is very well done. The first half really sets up like all the stakes. You got to understand, understand who the characters are and whatnot. And then the second half is just all wild action featuring a variety of different kind of weapons, including umbrella swords. And it's great. Like everything about this movie oh. is pretty terrific. I was very happy to finally see this movie. I've been waiting to, I've had it on my desk for a while and I'm like, I want to watch this. Finally did. And it's fantastic. So shadow, um, it's pretty terrific. Um, let's see. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I saw the new Pedro Almodovar film, Pain and Glory, with uh, Antonio Banderas, who, based off the buzz around him, looks to be getting some awards recognition, perhaps an Oscar, but it's very good. Um, for an Almodovar film, I mean, it's kind of what you'd expect. It's a well-crafted personal drama. Um, it has a number of good performances in there. The story, I mean, the story, there's, there's not too much to explain, so I don't really want to explain it, because there's only, like... It's just basically a man reflecting on his life, and there's flashbacks to his past, and then it comes into like what what he's dealing with now. Um, mm. and, but Antonio Banderas, very good. Uh, so yeah, that's great. And uh, Anna and I, uh, we watched the Lavender Hill Mob. I mentioned this last week in the new releases. These this is one of the three Alec Guinness classic crime comedies that came out on Blu-ray through, through Kino. Um, this movie is fantastic. It is a heist film, and it's great. That's all I just really need to say. Lavender Hill Mob. It's it's a wonderful movie. It's very fun, very enjoyable. And Al Guinness was a true talent. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah, and a Jedi Master. And, and a Jedi Master. This was his first Indeed. Oscar nomination in this movie for Lavender. He's been nominated like he was nominated like five times. And he won once. That's for, a lot for River Kwai, uh, yeah. or four times. Five, four, or five. I think it might have been. Five. I, I tried to count. Now we're we gonna spell that out, or is it the number four? <laughs> call back, call back, call back. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been watching this week. Uh, so that's it. Quickie. Uh, Jim, I thought the I thought the Umbrella Swords were a callback. We attacked. Somehow put Shadow in the extended Penguin universe. Where we're coming up with. <laughs> I, I was thinking that too, actually. I was like, did Penguin have? But I remember the gun and the uh, the you know the the make the one that makes you all entranced and the but... cute one. 
The cute one that didn't work? The, well, the one the that end. he pulls out, he, pull, he says, shit, I pulled the cute one. Yeah. <laughs> Before he dies. <laughs> that penguin is so weird. <laughs> but one of the best death scenes of all time, in my eyes. Yes. Uh, yeah. All right, let's move on to trailer talk. This is where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. This is where we're talking Bad Boys for Life, not spelled for numerically because it's only the third Bad Boys film which is basically a missed opportunity to make a third Bad Boys film that does not have For Life in the title, only to make the film Bad Boys for Life, which does have the point. But that's neither here nor there. We already they have called this it movie. Bad Boys for Life Part 3, Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a lot of fun with this today. <laughs> no, it's so, weird. Already less clever than Fast and Furious in nomenclature, then, is what we're saying. Yeah, no, it's no, fa- no Fast and Furious. Like, in terms of, like, b- sequels that really, really ran the gamut on how to how to create new structures for what the film title's supposed to be, Fast and Furious is on top, Rambo's underneath it, and then, I don't know, like, a Saw movie or something, whatever, like, something else comes in there. And you, know what they're, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna do one when they're much older, and it's gonna be their Unforgiven version. It's gonna be called Bad Boys, What You Gonna Do? Mm-hmm. That's common. I guarantee it. Be a legacy. Wait. Yeah. Although, although all three of these films have large spans of time taking place in between them, but let's get to that. Okay, this is the third Bad Boys film. It's not directed by Michael Bay. It's directed by Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah. Um, they've made a couple, like I think, grittier indie foreign dramas, foreign action dramas, but they're filling in this time for Bad Boys. We once again have Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. It used to be Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, but it's been reversed. I wonder why. And um, <laughs> you still have producer Jerry Bruckheimer on board, and you still have Joe Pants in the cast. But along with that, what what else is going on? Luke, what do you think of this trailer? It's interesting because I think the first Bad Boys, I believe, is Michael Bay's first movie ever, yes, and right. then Bad Boys Two is like absolute peak Bay, and now we have, from the looks of it, pretty good ripoff Bay. It's a very good Michael Bay imitation. This trailer and. Funny thing is, I was on the set of Transformers 5, and Michael Bay swore that no way was anyone going to make Bad Boys 3. <laughs> so, like many things, he was not entirely correct or had his own filters. <laughs> but uh, so far, it looks like a good ripoff of Michael Bay, and I'm down. Abe? I don't like this trailer all that much. I, I think what I dislike about it is that it's just full of a bunch of jokes, and I don't know really what's going on with the entire plot. But it just feels like the guys are just not really it looks like they're having a good time, but I just don't really get a sense of like them really wanting to to do this movie. Um, I mean, Joe Pants is Joe Pants. He's, he's kind of crazy in it. But the only part that really made me laugh was at the end there when Martin Lawrence is telling those kids that they messed up the lyrics. Uh, but everything else is like, OK, cool. Action beat, action beat, action beat. Yeah, I agree with you that it does look like a, a great uh, uh, Michael Bay impersonation. But for the most part, it just feels like old jokes and kind of like a, a tired script. I'm in between you guys, I guess, on this, where yeah. I do think they're having fun, and Will Smith is very busy. If he didn't want to do this, he wouldn't do this. Like That's sure. bottom line. For that one. I mean, Martin Lawrence, yes, he's going to sign up. He's not in movies like Will Smith is, and he's not making Will Smith money, so he's going to sign on no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it was like, well, if Will Smith wanted to pass on Bad Boys, he'd pass on Bad which is why it's taken so long. I mean, it's all about finding the right story you want to tell. I'm not going to say this story is going to be incredible. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like the Bad Boys franchise is based off incredible screenplays. It's based off... Yeah, I was going to say, if, mm-hmm. if there is a story, that will be a different twist. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I'll say what this. a, I am a, what I am a, a huge fan. And, like, dig. <laughs> I, I am a huge fan of the first Bad Boys. I think that yeah, it's a, a lot fun of fun. Extra. I think it holds up well. Bad Boys 2, I don't dislike, but it saying Peak Bay is exactly correct. It is the most Michael Bay. Like, that's how I've always reviewed the ba- Bad Boys 2. Every, it, it was the first movie I saw where every shot in that movie is a trailer shot. You can cut any five random scenes from that movie together, and that's a trailer. Like, that's, wow. that's how that movie works. So, watching this trailer, my thought was, okay, this actually looks more like the first one to me. Mm-hmm. My only concern is, is, this is where I kind of come in the middle of you guys, is if these two directors, if they can do Michael Bay well, because I think there's a lot of imitators out there, but I do think there, yeah. there's no other Michael Bay. There's no one that does Michael Bay as well as he does it. I do think that's a key component in these films, in addition to Martin and Will doing their thing. It's Bay's direction that really helps tie that together. Like it or love it, or love it or hate it, one of those. <laughs> one of those <laughs> is right. On one, top? one of those is right, and one of those is Cold Stone. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you were uh, singing G Unit for whatever reason. <laughs> love it or hate it, Michael Bay has a very discernible style, and I think it really shows in Bad Boys among other all, all of his other films. So I, I hope for the best. I guess I just I'm not sure. So we'll. We'll see. That's a good point about that. And I, I just point the listeners to uh, every frame of painting. He did a breakdown of what Bayism is, quote unquote Bayism. And he, he talks about the imitators too and how they actually don't really get it that right. Because Michael Bay, even though it's like over the top and and he uses a lot of pans and, you know, the 360 camera stuff, he's doing it in a very like a, a deliberate way. And imitators kind of just do it in a way that they think he's doing it, but it's actually more nuanced. He's as much as a, an auteur as Wes Anderson or any number of other directors that have discernible styles. There's yeah. there's, there's no one like him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we'll see. Uh, Bad Boys for Life. Indeed. We'll uh, see. <laughs> it opens uh, January 17th, 2020. Can't wait! January 17th is not the good, not the best of signs, but hey, that Power Rangers movie opened in January, and that was pretty good. So I'm actually bummed out that we're going to get a sequel. I think Aaron and I both are. I, I'd be curious where it would go. Yeah. I, I'll say this. Yeah. January, it is Martin Luther King weekend. I mean, it's going to and if you want to hear a look at some history, Ride Along, both of them opened the, that weekend. They made as much money, or the, fir- the first Ride Along made as much money as Bad Boys, or as Bad Boys 2. Yes, I mean... It's it's not a terrible date. We'll, we'll mm. see. But yes, if it was like a premiere summer spectacle, probably come out in the summer. You're not you're not wrong, Luke. I can't. <laughs> <say>. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's get to our main review for it, chapter two. To the losers. We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead. If it ever comes back, we'll come back to it. We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. <laughs> we can't let it happen again. Hello? Kate! Missed you. 
That should have been some of the trailer for It Chapter 2. We first met the losers in 2017's It. Now we're back 27 years later with Chapter 2. Pennywise, played by Bill Skarsgård, is still out there, and Isaiah Mustafa's Mike calls in on his old pals to return to Derry and finish off the monster clown once and for all. In doing this, the other losers, played by actors including James McAvoy, Jessica Chastain, and Bill Hader, are forced to relive some of their nightmares as things build to a horrific showdown. Luke, this is an adaptation of a huge Stephen King novel. Do you think these two films have successfully transferred well to the big screen? And in particular, what did you think of this sequel? Um, it's an interesting question, because I think to accurately transfer the novel, you would make some huge cinematic mistakes, and I'm glad they've avoided a couple. <laughs> I, uh, I, for one, really did not want to see the turtle who created the universe, and I'm glad the turtle who created the universe is not in this in any discernible way, although there are little nods to it. That, when I was reading the book the first time, when it was a brand new bestseller, that, I got to that part, and I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I came. I read through a thousand pages, and you're giving me a turtle who created the universe. That's your resolution? No. So, I like the movie a lot better. <laughs> um, chapter two really hit me in the feels, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I was a teenager in '89, and uh, I have been in therapy dealing with the concept of the shame spiral, where you have a thing that you either did or you didn't do that you think makes you a bad person and it builds in your head and it feeds this negative thing we call a beast or a dragon in this movie it's a clown and what they go through in more literal terms is sort of what you go through in therapy and more spiritual i don't know if that's the right term because it's not really spiritual but more mental ways and meditative maybe and i was really glad Incidentally, that there's an you know they posit as the big solution in Native American ritual, and then the the fact that it's a Native American ritual actually isn't the thing that works. That part of it doesn't work. It's what it's getting to that is what works. Uh, that it's the actual sort of thinking and the actual self help and the asking for help that really brings it all together. And that was a very emotional undercurrent for me. But above and beyond all that, I just kind of like that we have a Freddy Krueger-type monster again who can conjure up these little nightmares, and they're elaborate and imaginative and fun in their own way, even as they're dealing with real people traumas. So it's kind of a perfect stew that feels perfectly targeted at me in some ways, and it works very well. Although I think they desexed it a little too much. I feel like Ben and Beverly getting together was a lot more exciting in the book. That's the one thing I'll say that maybe didn't transfer. So I'm on the side of one who didn't like the first. I I, I was not a fan of how the film was kind of constructed. Essentially. I had two main problems that carry over to this film. So I'm not going to re I'm not going to retrace too much of the first film, but I will say I wasn't a fan of how kind of jump scare happy the first film was and I didn't find myself connecting to the characters beyond just admiring the casting choices because I do think there is good chemistry between them. But individually, I feel like too many of them faded into the background, while some obviously just because they're more plot-focused, like they they stood out. So coming into this film, which I was looking forward to because I, I wanted to see where this would go. I wanted to see how this would wrap up. I, have, I haven't seen the miniseries in forever, but I do like – I haven't read the book, but I do have like an idea of like, okay, I know where this is going. So I want to see how this film capitalizes on that. And on, it just – for me, it doubled down on a lot of the same problems. There are things that I do like about this movie. I do like that for a three-hour R-rated horror – for one thing, it's a three-hour R-rated horror movie. Like that's – you don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. But also, there's a lot of weird in it. 
And a lot of the weird I kind of dug as far as like, well, this is there's some offbeat production value choices and weird monster things that I just don't typically see in a, you know, a, a, a widely a, a majorly funded studio film like that stuff is neat to me at the same time. I wish I cared more about the things that were going on that involved this big stuff because you have a lot of characters here played by, you know, a collection of good actors. And I just I, I couldn't find myself connecting in the way that I the movie obviously wants me to and that I would have liked to in order to like the film more where I have Bill Hader and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about him because he plays a character that's obviously very much going to be the center of attention he's very funny he has an arc that's very discernible like you can see all the things that work with him everybody else to me just kind of sat there like even like the bigger stars they just everyone was kind of dull in my eyes I'm not going to I'm not going to deny, like, if you if you have a an, an attachment on a different kind of level, like you're saying, Luke, obviously that's going to affect you more. Uh, I, from where I'm standing, I just, I couldn't, like, find myself wrapped up into the journey of these characters. And a, prom, a part of that was, yes, I didn't play, I wasn't too big on the characters, but also the the horror elements, just, there was no sense of dread for me. It felt like every chance the film had to build something scary or do something with the world that I'm in, it either had a one-liner or a random music cue or something else that just kind of took me out of feeling any kind of consistent sense of dread, which is what I feel the film wants me to think, right? If I'm stuck in Derry and these characters are facing off against a murder a, cl- a murder clown, like I feel like I'm supposed to be on edge the whole time, and I, I just never kind of got that sense. But uh, we can delve more into all of this. Abe, where, where are you on with It Chapter 2? Uh, I've never read the, the material, and so I don't really know this turtle, but that sounds like sounds like it would have taken some time to establish that <laughs> and maybe even go through it. And at the same time, I'm glad that they've made some. On you. They, they kind of just like swoop it on you. But yeah, because it's, it's a part of something else, isn't it? Isn't it a part of other King novels? Well, thing. yeah, but when you're re- when you're reading this book when it first came out, none of those others existed. Oh, they, okay. they, I wasn't, I they wasn't were, sure. They, were, ju- the they were justifications after the fact. Okay. Yeah, so I, I think that to answer your first part of the question that you asked, Luke, I would say that they've probably done a pretty good job adapting what they need to on the screen because that's what I've heard from the first one as well, um, minus maybe some of the some of the uh, uh, more like racy things for teenagers, but still. Um, as for this one, I'm kind of in the middle here. I didn't really like the first one as much. I thought that it was a great opening, and then I thought that it was just a mediocre movie after that. It felt like I've described it as Goosebumps level, like R.L. Stein Goosebumps level type book uh, or uh, type movie. And for this one, what I liked about it is the Losers Club as adults because they use real actors. And I liked when the Losers Club was together, but... The whole movie is not really the Losers Club together. It's actually a whole bunch of individual storylines, uh, and well, I think the that middle, the middle act is for sure. the middle act is is incredibly like just all individual people just reliving some some uh, some memories. And it's cool that they shot this back to back because I was thinking to myself, oh, cool, the, the young actors still look exactly the same. So they must have shot this like during the same time. That whoa, they shot wait, 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 wait. Okay, what's that true? They, they did not shoot this back to back. Um, wow, and the uh, the young actors have actually been de-aged to um look what? more. Yes, that blows well, my mind. That's did, great. They did a great job then because I didn't notice. So. I, yeah, I, will, it, I, will, I will say this because I I was thinking about this as I was watching. Is like I know like Finn Wolfhard. I know he's grown a lot. Yeah, he's like, grown a lot because they're all like you know they're all at that age where they're gonna well, be. Well, we've seen him the most because of Stranger Things. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm pointing him out. But like they all yeah. like their voices changed or what have you. And I didn't. 
uh, he was the only one that felt wobbly to me. And then I was like, okay, it's because they de-aged him. The other ones, I just thought they like dressed and like used weird camera angles to make them look like they're smaller than they are. Like what's his name? Jaden Martell as a uh, bill. I was like, okay, I know you're, I, I've seen you recently. I know you're bigger than this. So it's, yeah, they, <laughs> they de-aged the actors to make them look like they did in the two Good seasons. job. Good job. Uh, FX Good job. Yeah, yeah. But as far as like the, the rest of the plot goes, what I did like and appreciate this time was the, you know, the, the struggle, like what you were talking about, um, Luke, the struggle of these, these adults kind of going through guilt and shame and whatever else, like those themes that were, um, you know, that they have to face is, is fascinating however it just doesn't really last it's very ephemeral because what aaron alluded to you have to get to a, a child-eating clown um and you've got to also give bill skarsgård some screen time here bill skarsgård he's a little bit more vicious in this movie i'd say but there's fewer fewer things for him to do like he doesn't really mess around a, as much with like other people um but as far as like the three-hour runtime i actually didn't feel it all that much however there were things in the movie that I was like, uh, that I thought, well, this could definitely be cut and you could have saved um, uh, a, a few minutes here and there because of something that just doesn't even matter. Uh, one of them being something with like a carnival sequence um, and, and a kid with like a skateboard kind of thing. Um, and then I mean, I would I, say that matters in what the film's trying to convey as far as the sense of dread and the ticking time element of Pennywise's, you know, he's up to his games. <laughs> and, and the I also do say, want to point out. Yeah, this is a this is a two hour forty five minute movie. Everyone says three hours, but two hours and forty five. I, I think it's I mean, shorthand. Different. Yes, it, it's two hours and forty five minutes. Yeah, it could have been it could minute movie. two two thirty. Um, but the last thing I'll say is it it actually opens up with the very like I don't know if it's 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 an an effective opening I'd say, but what I was bummed out about is I was kind of bummed out that they didn't really have There's anything no else to say with it. Yeah, and those kids that do those horrific things, nothing happened. I was hoping that Pennywise would eat all of them, right? And and uh, yep. I was like, oh, well, this is a bummer because this is a really, like, well, at first I had a question what year that, that was taking place, and then later when I see a MacBook, and I was like, I guess it's close to present day. So it was very it was very strange for a 2019-type movie. Not that you can't do that, but more just like, again, there's nothing that really resolved that. So on the whole, I, I thought that there was some strong acting, and I thought that there was, like, some uh some okay resolutions to the entire movie but it just wasn't as like it, it just didn't really feel as though it was like oh wow it knocked me off my socks let me throw this at you yeah um this movie has the exact same plot structure as avengers endgame they Similar. disperse and then they have to come back to fight the enemy i mean there's a cold open that reminds you of the threat that pennywise presents there's a whole recruiting scene where you have to get the game back together the second act is time travel and the third act is a giant boss battle i mean it, it's exactly endgame. except that in endgame the key is the friendships and the pairings as opposed to individuals getting an infinity stone I it's, would also say you know, that well, they have to they have to retrieve though. something from their time travel adventure sure. separately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've all got to go get something. Yeah, I'm not saying I, it's I a also... one. I'm not saying it's a one to one. But my point when I'm saying that is, it what bothers me about this movie is that there it seems like it's because I I get the you know mass audience appeal and that's what it feels like it's designed towards. That's not necessarily a flaw as far as how to make money with the movie, but it does feel manufactured as opposed to something something grittier something that like gives me the sense of dread that i feel like i'm missing from this thing it feels yeah more like, it feels more like a ride than it does like this kind of seminal horror epic which it is given that there's five hours worth of these movies sure 
to piggyback off that, to- there was never a sense that I got that they were not going to win. You know what I mean? Like, and that boss battle, it just was a really long boss battle. Like, it takes up like 30, 30 some odd minutes. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you, what you're saying there. Luke, what are you going to say? What do you guys think? Of, what do you guys think of the theory that Pennywise wanted them to defeat him? I've seen this come up a couple of times. So that he could today. go back to his home planet. <laughs> no, that maybe he's a more chaotic. Um, eldritch horror in the Cthulhu mold than we think, and that he's actually there to forcibly improve them in a sort of Darwinian way. Well, let me ask this question, because if I hear that theory, then I think, well, their lives outside of Derry seem pretty per. besides Beverly, uh, everyone's life seems pretty perfect. Like, everyone is successful, They're both, some of them are married, or some of, like, they're the boss of their respective jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. Bill's writing movies, Richie's he uh, what he meant he's a successful stand-up comic i mean everyone besides mike who stayed behind and beverly who which just happens in real life but she's been abused by her father and she found an abusive husband yeah but she's also what a successful like art dealer or whatever i i guess i'm saying i mean outside of dairy it seems like they didn't really have to there's nothing they're really dealing with now i guess that's that's mm, that's because they've that's, repressed that's, all their bad yeah, memories. That's, that's, yeah. that's talking about the repressing, the repress, the, the repression. So there's a metaphor, I guess, you can go with there. Sure. But it's, I don't. That seems pretty loose. Well, <laughs> my, my take on that yeah, is like I'm, I think I'm not saying I agree with that theory, sure, but sure. I've seen it come up. I've apparently Bill Skarsgård has even been discussing it on a podcast, which I didn't listen to. I'll, so I'll, to put, I'll put it this. I'll put it this way. I w- if the movie posited that in some way beyond after the fact, somebody said this and that sounds interesting. That'd be interesting to me, but the movie didn't present that to me. So I, w- I, I would also it. say that if you thought hard enough about it, you could probably did make a lot of metaphors about a lot of things about this movie, right? <laughs> So I, I'm not saying that's wrong, yeah. but it's like, you know, you could say that, oh, him staying or Mike staying in Derry or not, not Mike. Um, yeah, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was it Mike? Yeah. Mike staying in Derry all this time. That's like uh, a, a, a remnant of yourself in a past life. Like you're, you're always going to be there kind of thing. It's like, yeah, you can say whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like you can always make an argument for something. But um, for that one, it's like I did see that they had like an overall – well, we can accomplish whatever by getting over our fears kind of thing. But it's not as though I, I never saw Pennywise as like, well, let me let me like savagely eat other children and only help these like seven. <laughs> well, that's, so that's, that, yeah. that, brings, that brings to another aspect. I want to ask you, Luke, about this because you've actually read the okay. book, but you also enjoy these movies more than yeah. even I do. The yeah. town of the town of Derry, from yes. what I from what I've gathered. Um, the town itself is like infected, right? That, like it's supposed yeah. to be like it's not just that like it Pennywise is terrorizing a couple people in it he's actually like infected the town it sucks like people people there are just like that abe you're you're referring to this in the opening segment like people are just they're vicious yeah they're mean like and like beverly's dad is a terrible person the bull the the what the um the the bully the bully guy yeah he's a bowers yeah bowers terror they're terrible people they're because of pennywise's like influence on it i Another part of my issue is that the town of Derry never feels like it's really under fire in any way to me. Beyond the opening sequence, it just feels like well, it feels like a backlot for one thing. It just feels like, and I know they're shot in Canada, so I'm not even right about that. But like, it doesn't feel like the town is affected in any way. So I feel like they're these characters just come back and all right, they're there, but like nothing's really bothering me about this town. Well, I feel like, and this goes back to the opening scene. I feel like that was hit harder and. Part one. Um, the opening scene is very much sort of from part one because in the book they blur the timeline. So it begins with the adults getting the notification to come back and the entire thing is interweaved. It's not as evenly divided half and half. 
Uh, so it's sort of, and it's sort of like what David Lynch addresses in Blue Velvet and in Twin Peaks, which is that you can be very nostalgic for these small towns and there are bright, sunny things you remember, but there was also this weird, dark subtext that mm-hmm. when you grew up as a kid, maybe you couldn't quite process. And when right. you're older, you see behind closed doors, there was racism, there was homophobia, there was domestic abuse. Maybe your parents were crazy alcoholics, but you weren't allowed to talk about it to anybody. Mm-hmm. So it's a real mix. Cause like my my father, you know, is a small town guy, and he'd always tear up when he heard, heard Bruce Springsteen sing Your Hometown. But his childhood was full of bullies like Bowers and parents who would get drunk and walk around the house slamming doors while having flashbacks to World War II. Mm-hmm. So there was some scary shit going on as well. And I think that's my response to your saying that the tone doesn't feel consistently dreadful. It didn't in these sort of backgrounds i think stephen king had as well there were moments when it did and there were moments when it was you know we're down at the swimming hole and we're having a fine old time in our underwear so it's a it it sort of goes back and forth there was never a consistent tone of dread or a consistent tone of joy it all sort of jumbles together and in this one i think you have the adults trying to sort it out and that's why i am not bothered by the inconsistency there interesting now, let me ask you this because i did mention that the if there's a there's a lacking sense of dread for me, I mean, as far as what I feel like I should be getting, but also anytime there is some kind of quote unquote scary sequence or something that's supposed to be tense or whatnot, I do think the film does give you like a joke or some random cutaway that really lessens the value of having any kind of thing in a movie that is a horror movie. Like, yeah, you know? let me let me just add something real quick to that same point um, because I laughed a lot in this movie too. And, I'm not saying it's not funny. No, no, no. no. Yeah. But but I'm saying like I, I get what you're saying because um, I'm just adding on saying that in those moments of dread and whatever else, I definitely know what you're saying because because of my laughter, I was like, well, I'm kind of drawn out of like it not being scary, and so I, I definitely am agreeing with your point because the example I think about is Richie. Is it Richie? Uh, Bill Hader's um, Richie. No, yeah, just... uh, James Ransom. <laughs> yeah. Eddie. Uh, Eddie. Eddie goes down at one point, and the what you said, a random musical cue comes on. I laughed at that, but then I also thought, this is weird. I That is a point. That is a one sequence I think of where it's like, it feels like this. I, I'm more tense because of all the things that are happening, and then it throws in what seems like a very random choice of music to put in like right at this moment where it, yeah. it really under what, what do you think of this Luke? As, as we mentioned, these uh, yeah, and, yeah, and I also want to ask you, Luke, did that allude to anything? Is that a part of something or that? Uh, not you? the book. As far as I know, I mean, okay. angel of the morning to me alludes most to the opening sequence of Deadpool in my consciousness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been, it's been truthfully a long, long time since I read the book. I read the book shortly after it came out and I haven't revisited. So I don't remember if it's, specifically from that or not i will say that i didn't find most of the humor to be deconstructing the horror element like say in freddy versus jason where characters go like whoa that goalie was pissed about something or you know what kind of son of a bitch wears a red and green sweater you know that kind (laughs) of stuff is really sort of demeaning to the horror element and i never felt like the jokes here demeaned the horror they were you know richie or eddie's way of trying to deal with it for the most part they were you know <laughs> dealing with their issues by trying to defuse with humor I chandler bing style that, but uh that I, that I angel of the morning that i that angel I of the morning a... i think you're right okay mm-hmm. 
that I don't have a problem with as far as characters do, because I do that, like just using humor yeah. to diffuse the situation. That's not unnatural yeah. for anybody. But uh-huh. I do yeah. think that the direction of the film, I do think it is leaning on, you know, certain comedy cuts or what. Like there's a whole scene where Bowers and Eddie are in a bit of a scuffle, to say it that way. And the way it's resolved, there's a way to show that where it's tense or there's a way to show that where it's humorous. And I do think it the film in general opts for humor in how it's constructed more often than not, which did bug me. It did feel like a, for me, I mean, I, it yeah. did like get to me in a way where I want to bring I up think... some examples of that too. And, but first things first is I know that we mentioned Bill Hader and everyone's talking about Bill Hader. I actually do like James Ranson in this movie. Oh, um, I think he's, I think he's the second best person in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's actually just up there with Bill Hader too, because he has to provide a lot of physical comedy um, and physical uh, uh, attributes. But also he nails that like hypochondriac type uh, young kid that young Eddie was, and so because that Dylan Grazer from uh, Shazam, yeah, we, Shazam exactly. We've seen him, and we know that that guy is just like high energy all the time. James Ransom, you know Ziggy from The Wire, he's grown up. He's he's a really like he he really made me smile when he's on the screen here. Um, but the examples that you're just talking about too, I would say that there is just you know like, like that Bauer sequence like. The comedy elements of it aren't exactly in that. There's like a weird, strange thing that happens. But Bowers himself is like a is like a joke some to some degree because there's a point where he's running away and he's like hit it whatever dead guy's name is and the dead guy just like his head flops over to the camera and then they just start driving off and I was like what is going on here like this is not supposed to be funny but at the same time it's like it's not scary either it's like slapstick. I'll say this. I didn't. That stuff didn't actually bother me. That was the stu- that was the weird I was talking about. Where it's like, well, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's something I don't get every day. It, it didn't ma- bother me, but it's like it, it really does take you out of like he has just killed and gotten his out of like prison or whatever or out of a a mental institution, and then all of a sudden it's like this this really funny weird cue. I guess it's more <laughs> because I'm thinking of like when it involves the the losers, especially where. The Bauer stuff is like, that's going to be the Bauer stuff. Like, I'm not, I'm not too concerned with how scary that stuff is, because it's just like, it's a bunch of evil people conniving with each other. So it's like, all right, they're, they're going to, you know, the, it's going to be what it is. Um, let's talk about some of the actors more. Yes. Um, we talked about Bill, we talked about, well, we talked about James Ransom, essentially. But it's great. I actually do have a question about this. I've seen yeah. some reviews state as a fact that at the end of the movie, Richie comes out as gay and in love with Eddie. I didn't get that. Did you guys get that? I only got that his I only got his his uh, past in that one sequence that we saw at the arcade, and then I wasn't sure if that was just like a friendship thing at the end there. That's what they, I they figured. Didn't, it was. They didn't play it like you know as like okay, well I have strong feelings for Eddie or what have you. It was like you know it seems like they had grown closer in this movie, but you know if they if they honestly didn't hit a lot of these things on the head, meaning like it's not as if they have to make it obvious, but they didn't expand on anything either. I. I will say I picked up on a vibe that they're trying to go for. I wouldn't say that the film was like hammering you over the head with it. I'm uh, not saying that I, they had I, to. No, I, I agree. But I will also say you mentioned Stanley and there's a key problem I have with these characters. Cause when they all got sad about Stanley, I couldn't help but think, who is he? Like, I just, I had no <laughs> recollection of which one Stanley was. And I'm like, wait, is he the Jewish one? Was it? Cause that, which was again, Aren't the there... only discernible thing about his character in the first film in my eyes. So, and even I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. 
for Stanley's description, it says, a member of the losers who fought against it. So I don't think I'm too far off with not remembering who Stanley was. Very like, But then the movie, yes, it has this whole, let's recap everything, which to me mm-hmm. drag things down a bit, because there's a lot of recap and flashbacks going on in that second act, which oh, yeah. did show me the runtime in my for me. And I'm like, well, now I remember who Stanley is, I guess, because the movie can't shut up about all these kids that they keep wanting to show us. But okay, the the rest of the actors... Um, just, I mean, you have McAvoy and Chastain here, and to me, they're just so like they're duds. Like I just, nothing about them really stuck out. I, I, I would disagree because I like that they brought an emotional impact to the performance. Did they? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that McAvoy doesn't. I, I think the person with the biggest arc in this movie would be it's Hater. Uh, it's Hater. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what I was saying. I was like, it's Richie, right? Yeah. Um, he's got the biggest arc, but the second biggest arc would be for. Uh, whatchamacallit, um, Justine. I think Justine's character, it's not huge, because none of these characters have, like, for as much time as you're given on the screen with them, and dealing with their emotional pasts, like, when they all go on their individual journeys, to be honest, like, they're all very flat, you know? And so that's why Richie's is, like, the largest, uh, in my opinion. But Justine, I think that she's got some good emotional beats, and I think that the guilt trip that uh, McAvoy has to go on, and he's he's playing it up, I, I think that's, a, it's, if it, it's effective I, in some scenes. I think it goes to the point of these are good actors, so they're giving, you know, naturally they're decent enough on screen. But as far as them as, as far as yeah. them as characters, I find Bill to be just a big dud, and I think Beverly she's involved in the the most visually interesting sections of the film, for sure. I mean, given the scenario she's presented in, but as far as what the character means, it's like, well, okay, uh, it, like. There's a city situation, and she gets out of it in various ways. Like, what do you think, Luke? Where, where are you with the other characters? Well, an interesting thing here is one of one of the key things they cut, presumably for time, is that in the book, both Ben and Beverly's significant others become major characters, yes, and they both uh-huh. they mm-hmm. both come to Derry, and that adds a couple of other other layers. But when I hear criticisms of Chastain as being so much less lively than Sophia Lillis. I'm like, that's kind of the point. She's had 27 years of abuse and she's playing right. it that way. So and that may not be the most interesting thing to watch because that's the sort of person who shuts down. But I like the way she sort of comes alive in the group conversations and then she's mostly shut down the rest of the time, I think is workable. And they play up Bill's staff a bit more than they did there's a couple of things like that like bill stammer gets more play in this one it would be in the first one are with a joke they'll say beep, yeah i was, gonna, beep, I was wondering stop. about that beep beep part because that just came in at the end and i was like what is yeah, that in reference to yeah I yeah they, I, never, I they never was, they never they never did in the first film but it's a running thing in the book like okay. every time his jokes go just that much too far they say beep beep richie and he pulls back well, I remember B.P. Bridgie being mentioned in the first movie, but it just came up randomly in this yeah. one where it was like, it didn't feel like it had any, it was just like, it just feels like you're saying a catchphrase out of nowhere. That's kind of... Yeah, that, that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> let me, okay, let me say, okay, let me rephrase how I'm talking about these other characters, because it's not, it's not as if I don't, like, understand the turmoil they're going through or what have you, like, or the, the context that surrounds them. It's more... I think there's a lot of heightened acting in this film. There's a lot of people giving arch performances that matter, and a it's not that by default everyone else needs to be doing the same thing, but for me the film isn't gripping me with these people in the way it's gripping me with other with other characters of the same group, and I feel like I should have some kind of impact on me beyond just like recognizing that the actors are doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. Like, it's, it's, do you it's, feel it's, as though it's because they have to go through all of these characters individually? 
I so for example, uh, I think like the, the the biggest example that's like a big stick out. They did this in the first one too. Is that Mike for whatever reason just like disappears for the entire middle portion? The next time you see him, he's waiting at the library. You mean Ben? No, Mike. You Mike? Yeah. Well, yes, Mike. Do, yeah, Mike does disappear. And I, I mean, I had an issue with the first film as far as Ben because it seems like he's such a major player, and then he just kind of has nothing to do for a while because Bill gets involved, and Bill suddenly like the, it, there's a lot of things. I mean, <laughs> but for this film, yes, I mean, I. I do think that might be a part of it as far as you have to tell separate stories for each character. But at the, I think it, it just comes down to writing and direction for me on it. Like it, it's how you've chosen to present these people, what you have them doing. And for, you know, McAvoy gets a lot to do as far as riding bikes and going to storm drains and going to fun houses. But I shouldn't still feel like Bill's such a dud every time he's on screen. And that's the impression <laughs> that I got every time. <laughs> Even in his personal life, he's a dud. Nobody likes his endings. If you want to talk about the writing, by the way, every time they mention the ending thing, like I get it, guys. Yeah, like, I, I get that. They too. Hammered yeah. home the ending. I was like, I was like, I haven't read the book, but I know what you guys are talking about here, or even Stephen King in general. Um, but let me ask you guys a question here: um, Would you guys have, it, it, for movie adaptations like this, or book book adaptations like this, uh, if people take their own take on it, do you are you okay with that? I mean, The Shining is one of my favorite horror films of all time, and it's very much not the book The Shining. So, yes, I'd have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah, it's sort. Of, I suppose it's sort of case by case. If it's a really beloved book, I will often have more problems with the changes than, than not. But I think the best. I think the best Harry Potter movie is the one where Alfonso Cuarón totally changed love, the structure yep. to where it works yeah, better. I love that. But my my wife despises that one because she's a Harry Potter loyalist, and they changed the book. It's her least favorite one. She insists it's the absolute objective worst. So we're, you know. I don't want to tell her this, I, but she's kind of wrong. No. <laughs> I mean, Deathly well, Hallows Part 1 is my favorite. Well, it's not going to be me favorite, that so tell her. Deathly Hallows Part 1 is number two. Um, um, I... Uh, I get. I mean, Abe, for what you're asking, it. Well, I'm just. I'm just too far along with seeing adaptations of things. Was like, why would I? Why should I still expect them to have like something exactly on point with the book? And also, why would that be exciting to me? I guess there's a, I don't know, like a nostalgic factor of like, oh, this thing that I read 20 years ago is finally being adapted and it looks just like it. But at the same time, I was like, I'd rather just see someone do something fresh with material. I, I don't get as. I'm not as beholden to th especially things that I didn't write myself. Where it's like, right. okay, sure, like. <laughs> The, the, house, I think the, the, the hotel doesn't blow up at the end, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and again, the reason why I ask this is that if there's just so many details in the Stephen King book, and, and you're not really going to please everybody, but at the same time, because you're trying to stay true to the, the original work, sometimes it it hinders the the creativeness of a director or a writer to be like, well, let's change this up and make it scarier or make it uh, more, more whatchamacallit, uh, emotionally impactful. So... You know, I, I think it was well, just uh, a general question because Luke, you've definitely read the book, um, yeah. but I was just curious what uh, because not this isn't the only movie that's ever been adapted uh, from a novel. No, I think that's safe to say. I mean, I, I can uh, say this: the miniseries, which again I haven't seen in a while, but there are things that impacted me about this that have not done it here, and I do think that says something as far as how this for me as far as how this film is constructed. I do think they're like that whole Chinese restaurant scene. The sequence of that does that in the original one with its low budget and all had more of like a harder impact. Like there's stuff that you see in that that's a lot better than like random CG baby hand monsters or whatever that's coming out of the fortune cookie. Like I liked, <laughs> I can remember that on a more visceral level in the ABC miniseries than I can in this movie, which is just like it. creatures from the mist appear all of a sudden. Yeah. 
I will I will say also the ending of it the book is unfilmable because it is described as a creature that is so that you cannot look if you were to look on its true form you'd go mad it's something that cannot that is beyond the perception of human eyes so you can't put that on screen you have to come up with some that's with something because I think that's that, the that, that's that, that sort of uh, explains the Bill Hader part of the of the ending there and I was like oh yeah. wow that was actually a really uh, I like the way that it was an immediate thing it was an, uh, an immediate impact and it's like nope he's just he's there he's dazed. Um, a few other questions for you guys here. The deadlights, they talk about this with Beverly and how she's kind of not clairvoyant, but she's seen some things and they completely just like dismiss it. Is this something that, that you thought was more impactful in the ABC miniseries or from the book? Uh, in the it's, book, it's, yeah. It's different from the book, right? Okay. It's not, yeah. Cause she doesn't get deadlighted or whatever, right? It's, um, is it Bill's wife? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. And, al- and also, a key thing in the book is that it is female and has eggs, um, which I guess they probably didn't want to get into people thinking that that it had two different genders or something. That would have been mm, too complicated for a major studio movie. But yeah, it was, and it's uh, you know, it's about to have a bunch of baby its, and that's part of the imperative of defeating it the second time. Mm-hmm. Stephen okay, got some weird novels. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, that explains the whole entire dropping the, you know, her being able to see things into the future. I was like, this is a cool, neat idea that uh, that I've seen done in some of other Stephen King's works. But, you know, I was like, why is this not going anywhere? Well, so it just felt like a lot like of they stuff. Are tried, they, like the King books are like vaguely connected to each other in various <laughs> totally, ways. Like, yeah. You have things like shining powers that kind of go over to other areas or you have the... Um, uh, or the towns in general, like the they're town, all like yeah. in Maine, like Castle Rock, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, Castle they, Rock's they, in like all of them. Yeah, they, yeah. they share a universe, like exactly. They, yeah, yeah. Remember the Dark Tower? That was a movie. Anyway, oh um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you mentioned that, I was like, holy crap, you Peter Selva. <laughs> there were um, okay. Um, well, I, I was going to ask you another character question here. What do you guys think of Bill Skarsgård? I love him. I think he's fantastic. In this. I, I have no complaints about him like doing his thing in this in this movie. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it works. Um, I, it doesn't scare me necessarily. I don't know. I mean, I'm not you, Abe. So clowns just don't do much for me. Yes, I, I don't know. Um, well, his performance, like uh, versus the first, the first one, where he's he's more. I, thought, I mean, I, I, up I, a little bit in the first one. This one I, again feels more like he's down to business. I would say I thought there was more of him in this movie. I, okay. I I felt like his he was around more this time around. Where I thought the first movie, and granted I dislike both movies, but I do think the I do think there was more dread in that first movie because of how limited he was. But now this movie, you already like the cat's out of the bag at this point, so you have to utilize him more. And the movie hey. is, as we mentioned, two hours and forty five minutes, so you're probably gonna you know have a lot of showing the monster type of things happening. They gotta but, sell those costumes. Exactly. Uh, but I did. I do think he's doing a great job with this. I don't know if it's going... I mean, clearly the internet has spoken as far as gifts and whatnot, but, I mean, I Tim Curry did scare me as a child watching this uh-huh. thing. <laughs> like that, I've that, heard that. the same thing from a lot of people that have seen the original ABC miniseries. Meanwhile, I see the dancing Pennywise gif, and again, I can't even remember him doing that dance in that scene. And Bill Hader makes fun of it in this movie. Yeah, which I, I was, was going to say, funny. Like, it's so, it's but so I, like, but widespread. I, Bill but Hader I only thought it. I only thought Bill Hader doing that dance was funny because I've seen it in GIF so much, not because I can actually remember it from the movie. 
So basically what I'm saying is Stanley and Pennywise dancing are things I do not have memories of. In this <laughs> and then the follow-up question I had around uh, uh, Pennywise was, um, and the scares were, what do you think of some of the, the jump scares or just the scares in general in this movie? The I am one kind of, That's it. But I am kind it, of a, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm kind of a sucker for the scare, the, the form of scare where something with its eyes wide open comes running towards the screen at you. That usually works. And they did that about five times in this. So yeah, yeah. it worked. Yeah. I, I think the, the one that, you know, got me the most was uh, a baseball park game. And the reason why is because I was like, what did she do? You didn't deserve this. Well, but that's also, he, eats, uh, he eats kids. I mean, that's what he does. <laughs> I, I understand. But so I was like bummed out because she's so, she, she had like the right thing of like, I don't talk to strangers. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's like he plays on her emotions, like no. And the way it happens is a clever way that, to make it happen. Something I heard that made a lot of sense to me is like the the nature of it dressing as a clown doesn't really make sense in these ver- in this version of the movie because like the the book is set in the fifties, and something you'd attract a kid's attention with is a clown that makes sense. But nowadays, mm-hmm. it'd be like a superhero, and like or or a giant iPhone. Or a giant iPhone, or a Fortnite character, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a Fortnite donkey or something oh. running around. Yeah, um, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> no, I'm not saying this bothered me because, like, whatever, it's a clown in a movie. Like, that's what's going to be, yeah. and that's more iconic than watching, I guess, Bill Skarsgård with a cape and nanotechnology. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that particular but, that particular kill is inconsistent to his method, though, because. His whole thing is that fear seasons people. the meat. So yeah, he scares you, lure George, you lure Georgie in as a clown to make him comfortable. Then when he's close enough, you rip off his arm. Now he's terrified. Then you eat him. Yeah. He didn't give this girl enough time to be terrified. It was too quick. Yeah. But again, that, that opening sequence that from the first one, I was like, this is an all-timer. But everything else in the in the first part of the movie, not great. Anyway, th- those are the kind of questions I had. And then well, the, me, the, the last part... Let me, let me, I, didn't, I didn't answer too much yeah, on yeah. the scare thing. I, oh, yeah. I thought I thought all the scares are very predictable. Like, every time they set out to do something, I'm like, oh, here we go. And, like, yeah, it happens exa- pretty much the way I expected it to. Well, there's they some ex- really there's set some, there's, some, there, there's some exceptions. As I said, the Paul Bunyan thing did work on me. Because, again, or not again, but I did not expect a giant Paul Bunyan statue to start chasing after a little child. That's just not something you think is going to happen. That's the thing that movie. scared you? Because what am I gonna think? I like it's okay. it's cartoon Paul Bunyan, but I, well, it had a crazy face for one thing. Yeah, but yeah, again, yeah. I, of the things that were happening to Richie in that moment, I wasn't think I wasn't thinking like Pennywise is going to turn into the Paul Bunyan statue and start chasing him <laughs> around. Like I... <laughs> that's a little too abstract for me to guess ahead of time. Okay, so that fair. One actually I, I guess you me. would never guess that, but uh, because I was like, you know, you've seen like floating bodies uh with like uh half of their faces melted <laughs> off kind of thing. then the paul bunyan one got you but well i could well because i've seen movies with half melted faces off it's like yeah, yeah all right that's that's par for the course for me giant paul bunyan statue come on abe like where am i where have i seen that before fargo there. like <laughs> <laughs> not even it'd be like some episode of like uh uh, Gravity Falls or something like that. So w- with that said, what I'm saying is that guy, that got me because yeah. he like stabs the ground first. I'm like, okay, and then it tur- and then he turns to the side and it's like giant Paul Bunyan, and I'm like, Mark yeah. Johnson, get the fuck out of here, and I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> but so that but like when because they played this in all the trailers with the whole Beverly and the old lady's home thing. That's just that was like the that and the opening were my favorite like sustained sequences of suspense. I enjoyed that, and even the reveal of whatever she turns into, like. That was neat. It didn't necessarily scare me, but I was sure. still like, 
well, that's a that's a choice. <laughs> that's that's some designs. Like I get, I I did want to point out the weird stuff on purpose because I do like that stuff. I do think that um, what's his name, a- Andy Muschietti. Uh, I do think he like he has a talent for creating some good like well produced scenes of horror. I just wish that was more consistent through me throughout this movie. And if you're not going to give me that, I wish there were better character stuff in this movie. And with Gary sure. Doberman didn't give me that, so I just. Get that. Fr- so yeah. I'm frustrated because I want to like these movies. It's not like I'm sitting here thinking this movie made $100 million opening weekend. I should hate it. I'm sitting here thinking, why am I not liking this movie as much as Luke did? As much as other people clearly do as far as connecting to these characters. Yeah. So it sucks for me because I want to like this thing and I don't. Luke, can, do you have an answer for Aaron and for everybody who is uh, feeling this way? Uh, well, <laughs> All this pressure. <laughs> uh, no, some, it's, it's a lot harder to defend something you connect with that somebody doesn't than it is to, like, put down something that you didn't get i think and that somebody did so i can't say if the characters don't connect for you i can't really say why they don't per se that maybe it's because i can maybe it's because i identify with their individual circumstances a little more but things like i don't know if you noticed this but eddie the actress who plays his wife is the same actress who played his mom and he's repeating the same pattern and she's treating him like a hypochondriac again right. i didn't realize it was the like same that. actress i realized it was, it was yes. like Obviously, it was the same character type. I didn't realize it was the same actress, though. That's actually pretty clever. Well, I mean, th- that's the cool part about it. Just like, okay, I get that. You know, you can never, you've never really escaped your past. None of you. Um, like, it's always still like on on your mind, even though you've moved away. Which is a nice little allegory of just like you know growing up, but still. And when uh, you know when I see characters do that, and I see oh I do things like that, and then I'm like they came from a small town, and I was lived in a small town in '89, and there was weird dark stuff going on then as well. It's you know there's some of it. Some of it's personal, and if you didn't have any of that, I can't say you should have had that, and this is why you should like this movie because it's, <laughs> you know, that's a personal reaction too. But I don't yeah. know. It, it, I can only explain why it works for me, and I hope I've done a semi decent job of that. Yeah, oh, I, I, sure. I, I, I definitely understand why it works for you, and I definitely agree with some of those points. Like those points sort of work for me too. Not that I'm from a small town per se, but more just like, yeah, I get the whole entire. You know, you've you've kind of buried some of these feelings way back down and repressed them as an adult. And then when you come when you have to face them again, you become that 11 year old, 12 year old kid that, you know, fought this clown and had to deal with guilt, anxiety, depression, anger, frustration, you know, shame, etc. And that part was great. But to Aaron's credit, they just didn't explore it all that much either. And that that's kind of like a bummer because well, it would have that... been fantastic that's what's hitting me because the movie that luke you're describing and the movie i've read about in other reviews that sounds great to me and i really want to see that movie and i just had for five hours of it i have not seen that movie either time and it's i find it unfortunate well Uh, that movie's probably called blue velvet or twin peaks to be honest i I watched blue velvet not too long ago because i got that criterion blu-ray and it's fantastic (laughs) honestly Honestly, this should have been like a much longer miniseries, and then maybe it would could have been more Twin Peaksy in the way it, you know, because Killer Bob and Pennywise are not that different in terms of the effects they cast on their respective towns. But Twin Peaks can play it out longer and can have some episodes that are pure comedy and some are pure dread. And mm-hmm. in a two-hour, forty-five-minute movie, you gotta cram that all in there and make it much more appetizing and less. I, it's impressive that they're as weird as they got. But yeah. they couldn't have pushed it much weirder, I don't think, and still made a lot of money. Not a, yeah, not as a Warner Brothers movie. Sorry, a Warner Brothers New Line movie. Let me ask you this: Do you like this Chapter Two more, or less, or about the same as Chapter One? Um, it's really hard to say. I'm going to say about the same, but okay. I felt 
I felt more of an instant emotional reaction from chapter two because I think because I connected with these, I connected with these characters being being the same age as me. I think that maybe made it more identifiable. But if I think back to it, I think part one might have been a better movie. So it's about even. Mm-hmm. I do like even not liking either of these movies. I do like it's weird. I think chapter one is a better movie, but I like. I like weird. When it gets weird, I'm like, well, I'm into this. So, like, I was for a for a good while in this movie. It's like, well, it's still doing stuff I don't like, but I do dig the weirdness that I'm getting in this, you know, multi tens of millions of dollars horror movie horror epic that I'm watching. Right. So, like, I I admire that. I'm just not I'm not being hit by it in the way that I would have liked to to kind of overall think it's a, a you know a quality film. Yeah, makes sense. I, 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 I don't think it will be the last adaptation either. I think there will be. I think yeah. it will continue. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Exactly. I, mean, I was like, in 10 years, we're going to get enough. Maybe even sooner now that everybody is, you know, I consuming mean, remakes. Like it's crazy. been just over. It's been it's been 10 years since we got that the, the Watchmen film. And we're already getting a remake of that on HBO. So, I mean, yeah, it, that's not I, a remake, though. It's a sequel. Sorry. Yeah, it, it well, OK. Ooh. But I mean, another stab at Watchmen, I guess, to take it. It's not a sequel to like the movie. I, I know what you're saying, though. Well, the movie yeah, like, was, the entire, was the entire graphic novel already, too. What? Sorry? The Watchmen movie was the entire graphic novel, wasn't it? Yeah, the movie was based on yeah. the novel, yes. The series yeah. is like a pseudo-sequel to, like, yeah, it's trying to do its own thing. The last thing I'll say about uh, H-Hyper 2 is, um, on technical level, I, I enjoyed the cinematography of this movie. There's some really there's some beautiful shots. Yeah. Uh, well, there's some really beautiful shots, and yeah, like we said, fun choices. But on the whole, I was like, wow, you know... The production value is is pretty decent. I agree with you that the back lot, you know, they don't really go a lot of places. The town doesn't really <laughs> feel that used, but at the same time, you know, just some shots of them racing around when they were kids down uh down the street, um, or the the angles in which they shot things. I was like, this is, I, I can see uh, that they made some some good uh, editorial choices here. I do like the um, the be- I like the beginning quite a bit. Not as far as like, oh, it's a hate crime, but like. The, the visuals of it, especially when they get to, like, the bridge, because there's, like, a whole thing with balloons and stuff where it's like, this is remarkable. Like, I really like this. Like, this is really, this is a really neat visual right now. Like, Mike coming up the scene, and there's, like, a, just a river of balloons. And I'm like, yeah, balloons. Balloons are creepy. Sure. Like, this is all, this is all good. <laughs> are <me>. they? <laughs> they are in this movie. Like, okay. Yeah, balloons, yeah. balloons, the oranges. I was like, not afraid of clowns, afraid of balloons. Got it. <laughs> I'm not afraid of balloons, but I'm like, I like this in the same way that oranges are for Godfather. Balloons are for it. <laughs> balloons are suspenseful because you know they're going to make a loud noise at some point yeah, and explode. They're the ultimate suspense machine for children. <laughs> that and the jet, that and the Jack in the Box. All right, I think we've talked sufficiently about it. Chapter two. When should people go and see this movie, Luke? When should people see it? Chapter two. Now on the biggest screen you can. Abe, I would say that you could wait for like a Netflix, uh, like either Redbox rental or, or Netflix. I mean, I personally would agree with you. Yes, I feel like since I know I'm in somewhat of a minority when it comes to the It films, if you saw the first chapter, you probably want to see how it all wraps up. So, yeah, well, like you're going to go see chapter two. So, me personally, though, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever, do what you want. <laughs> okay. I will, say, I will say, though, my wife is waiting for a DVD because she's too scared to see it in the theater. Fair she enough. wants to see it at home with the room, light, with the room lit up so she can uh, feel a little detached from it. You could just you could just tap her when a scary uh, part is going to be on the movie, though. Nah, it's too in- it's too intense. She I mean, she needs yeah. she needs to be able to stop it. She needs to turn the lights on, and that's why she's waiting. Even though she wants to see it, I would no, argue no. the movie gives you plenty of warning when something scary is going to happen. But yeah, that's me. <laughs> but, um, Especially the part where Bowers is pulling on a balloon. I yeah, that's funny. Um, 
I will say this. I was Luke. I was happy to get you on here because I would. I did. I didn't just want to have like us ragging on it the whole time. So I wanted to get another <laughs> perspective because I want to understand too why it is that I'm not liking this movie. So. Not everything is about you, Aaron. <laughs> it should be though, Abe. That's what. That's what the. That's what the. the that's, um. That's what Tilda Swinton taught me in Doctor Strange. <laughs> I think I heard that correctly. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what the. Uh, that's what she said. That, that's the ancient one. I was like, what? what is it? <laughs> I think she's an unreliable narrator, though. Somehow. Ah, classic Swinton. <laughs> All right, let's get to, let's uh let's move on now. Let's get to uh, Abe. What uh, what time is it? Aaron, I think it's time for a quick game here. Little known fact: Aaron was the original composer for H Chapter Two, but he had other commitments. Curses. That's what I said. That was a job that I wanted, and I did not get it. Um, I have a game for you guys this week. Okay. It's called King Me. Hmm. Interesting. I have a series of taglines from famous Stephen King movie adaptations. I'm going to read them, and you have to guess with your name. Buzz in with your name if you think you know what the uh, movie is. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Here's the first one. I have a I have the year of the film as a clue in case the tagline's too obscure for you. Okay. Here's the first one. Enjoy your stay. Abe. Abe? The Shining. It is not The Shining. Oof. Is it 1408? It is 1408. Oof. Good call. Make sure to buzz in with your name. (laughs) Here's the next one. I figured after he'd buzzed in. Yeah, I know. There's only two of you. (laughs) But you know what? Damn it. We're a stickler on rules around out now. This this isn't battleship pretension where you can just do everything you want willy nilly. That's right, David and Tyler. I'm telling you guys. Yeah, I was like, what, what, where's the David and Tyler hate coming from? There's no rivalry here. People just show up on their doorstep and start talking about stuff, jibber-jabbering for 20 minutes. Not calling in with their name. <laughs> exactly. Here's the next one. Sometimes dead is better. Luke. Luke. Pet Cemetery. It is Pet Cemetery. Mm. You are correct. I see that you're a formidable opponent here, Luke. <laughs> Luke Sometimes dead is better. Did you see the new Pet Cemetery? I did. Did you like it? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> it's a movie. Here's the next one. A circle of friendship, a web of mystery, a pattern of fear. Abe. Abe? It. Chapters one and two. Incorrect. And why would there be a tagline that's the same for both chapters? I'm a little stuck. I'm... A circle okay, of friendship, look. a web of mystery. Oh, Abe. A... Abe? Stand? It's not The Stand, which is also a miniseries, not a movie. Okay, I'll buzz in. Luke. I'm going to give say, it the year. I'm going to take a stab and say Stand By Me. It's not Stand By Me. The correct answer was Dreamcatcher. Well, everyone remembers that, that Samuel L. Jackson movie. Is he in that one? Nope, Morgan Freeman. Morgan yeah. Freeman, sorry. <laughs> sorry. He's in 1408. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sam Jackson, 1408. And, and Cell, right? That other one? Um, yeah. Anyway. But yeah, no, Morgan Freeman, and of course people that look just like Morgan Freeman, uh, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Damian Lewis, <laughs> J- Jason Lee, and who's the fourth Donnie one? Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg. Thank Donnie you. Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah. You get the black. I did it. Did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, here's the next one. Welcome to America in 2019. When the best men don't run for president, they run for their lives. Luke. Luke. Running Man. The Running Man. Oh, is the correct answer. Maybe you got to get on the board. I know. I'm Next scared one. here. There's only like three more, four more. Uh, there's, there's plenty more. Okay, all right. If only they knew, 
she had the power. Abe. Abe? Carrie. Carrie is the correct answer. Okay. Here's the next one. Sometimes an accident can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Luke. Luke? Misery. It's not misery. But the height in my voice should be a clue, baby. (laughs) Can you repeat it? Sometimes an accident can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Mm. This is a 1995 film. 1995, A of the Dead Zone. It is. That's a 1985 film. I believe. <laughs> I'll just give him the guess. The okay. answer. The answer is Dolores Claiborne. That would. That was going to be my second guess. Damn it, it also stars Cat. Um, uh, uh, Kathy Bates. Ka- yes. Kathy Bates. I was like Kathy Griffith. No. <laughs> Here's the next one. The horror is driving him crazy. Abe. Abe. The Shining. The Shining is the correct answer. Oh. That was good. <laughs> Wasn't bad. The other, there's multiple taglines for some of these. The other one for that one is like the ultimate horror. Fi- or no, it's the what is it? It's something very vague, but it's because it's Stanley Kubrick. They're like, yeah, we can say this. You can uh, check it, but you never check out. No, I think that's for no, Ray. no. It's like, no, it's like, it's literally like a like look how fucking great this movie is. Like that's, what it's <laughs> that's a, what yeah, a masterpiece of modern horror. <laughs> oh, I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not I, kidding. I would <laughs> go, what... no, but if you if it was that first tagline with the fucking great thing, I was <laughs> like, I'm gonna go see movie that movie. I'm going to see that movie for sure. That's what Spielberg told uh, Ty Sheridan when he was like, you got to watch this. <laughs> in preparation for um, Ty Sheridan wears a visor in a movie again. Well, it's also the movie that he uh, he wanted to give that tagline to Jaws, but it was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, here's the next one. God made him simple. Science made him God. Luke. Luke? Lawnmower Man. The Lawnmower Man. Oh, ah, correct oh. answer. That was a Stephen King book? Uh, under a it was a short story. It was uh, a short story, but uh, Stephen King actually sued them because the movie had nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> Wait, Running Running Man was a pseudonym. Lawnmower Man, yes, that was a short story, and it just Classic. they just chose the title. Basically. Got it. Here's the next one: Body by Plymouth, Soul by Satan. Mm, Luke. Abe. Ooh, I think Luke taken first. I think Luke got it. Luke. Christine. Christine Lumber. is the correct answer. I like that movie, even though it's weird. I'm very impressed by the visual effects in Christine because I yeah. just I don't know how they did some of them, and that always intrigues me. When I can't like without watching something to tell me how it's done, I can't like it's it's neat to me. It is it. Done. All right. Do you think that uh, Christine found love with a tire from rubber? <laughs> I think it's like a praying mantis situation. Oh, she's gonna kill that tire. <laughs> well, it uses the tire for a while, then it pops, and it's like whatever. That would be like falling in love with a prosthetic leg, though. Like the dad in a Christmas story. Yeah, I was like, exactly. you know, it's happened like, before. Yeah, so it's not. It won't be the first time. Here's <laughs> the next one. Prestigious award. <laughs> I just want to say that we know a lot about movies. Fragile. Uh, here's the next one. He can see the future, but can he escape it? Um, Luke. Ooh. Luke. I'm going to say the dead zone. The dead zone is the. Oh, I was, I was like, like, why is the name chiming in right away here? It is 1983, by the way. Um, here's the next one. In a world of superheroes, there is only one gunslinger. Abe. Abe? Dark Tower. The Dark Tower is the correct <laughs> answer, yes. Because that uh, one was, yeah, kind of on the nose. Abe, you knocked on the board a couple times, but Luke, you are a winner this week. Congratulations, Luke. Yay, for once. You've won. How many times have I not won? I think this is the first time. It is so, the first time for everything. I wear this honor proudly. Yeah, I just pronounced you the winner for the first time. It's my first time pronouncing you the winner of something. So, you know, everybody gets something out of this. So you are honored as well. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> All 
a, a modern <laughs> horror masterpiece. Um, all right. I have a bonus question here for you guys. Okay. Uh, in case there was a tie, which there was not. Uh, but what's the highest grossing Stephen King film? Besides It, I guess. I think It's like obvious at this point. Mm-hmm. That movie made a shit ton of money. You mean besides mm. It Chapter 1? Yes, besides It Chapter 1. Mm. And presumably highest... It Chapter 2. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, highest grossing Stephen King adapted movie. It would probably have to be more recent because just, you'd have to adjust for inflation or something like this. Shiny, adju- so. I mean, it's unadjusted. I'm gonna say, okay. uh, uh, I'm gonna say Pet Cemetery. It's not pet, the the new one or the old the, one. The first one. The first one actually is pretty high. It's like the fourth or fifth highest grossing Stephen King film. Is it? No, The Mist was not a hit, right? It the Mist was a bomb. It's not, yeah. it's not The Mist. Um, it's not a horror film. Oh. Oh, Shawshank. No, Shawshank was also a bomb, but it's like Shawshank. Green Mile. <laughs> The Green Mile, yes. Oh, well, you can't see it, but I just did the uh, the Tom Hanks relief face. <laughs> I would not have guessed. I would not have guessed the Green Mile without a clue. I'm it was a, it was a huge hit. Yeah, uh, fourteen oh eight to the fourteen oh eight to the third biggest. What? Yeah. Okay. That was a, that was a summer two? release. That was uh, the fourteen oh eight did seventy one domestic. Uh, Green Mile they're just a whole lot that don't do very well. I yeah, there are a lot the that don't, or just or just they're relative to their budget. They don't do like gangbusters, right? But yeah, yeah. fourteen away. That was like a summer movie, so like I remember like that coming out. And I was like, yeah, all right. Is that got Cusack? Cusack, and then Sam yeah. Jackson. Sam Jackson, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Green then Mile, uh, Green Mile did one thirty six. By the way, what, what was, what's number two? You said number one and number three, right? Well, it's, it's number, number one. Green oh, Mile's number two. Fortune is number three. Got it. Okay. Fun, fun. Other fact, because I want to throw this down. How the Lawnmower Man made thirty-two million dollars. How much do you think the Lawnmower Man two colon c- Cyber War or alternative title Job's War? How much do you think Lawnmower Man two made? I want to say thirty-two million dollars. The same thing. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm thinking it was probably direct to video. I'm going to say something like one million. It made two million dollars. Oh, you know, I wasn't that far off. It came out in like, <laughs> it came out not in limited release. It came out in over a thousand theaters. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> yes, it was a huge bomb. That's a yeah, that's a serious movie release. <laughs> yeah, it it came out in a lot of theaters. It debuted in like nineteenth place or something like that. This was a sequel that <laughs> nobody wanted. <laughs> I was like, why did it even get made? I mean, those those that sounds pretty crazy. I was taken aback by how many theaters it was actually in versus how much money it made. I was like, wow. It's like, because I thought like you, I, um, Luke, I, I remember. I, I remember that it was, I remember previews for this movie. I remember when it was called uh, Job's War, and then it was retitled to be Beyond Cyberspace. And that was like, I was, I was young, because this is 96. So I'm like, well, that's the first time I've seen that happen, where like the, the trailers actually changed the title of the movie. And then, yeah, <laughs> looking at Box Off Mojo, it was in 1,500 screens. Yeah. It made nothing. It made 1,000 screens on its release? Wow. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the budget being all that high, but at the same time, the discrepancy <laughs> between how much money was made versus the number of screens versus what I assume was some pretty pennies being spent on this movie is ridiculous. At that time, even crappy CGI cost a pretty penny, so... Yeah, so it probably cost a good deal of money to make a movie called The Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace. <laughs> anyway. They were ahead of its time. It, yeah, that's what we said. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just do a commentary for this movie and talk about how great it is. <laughs> During Halloween, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. That's, that's That was games. That was King Me. Let's move on to Out Now Feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback! This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. I asked a number of questions to the listeners. They gave us answers, and that's what we got. 
Yeah, first question. Luke, feel free to chime in. Luke, uh, oh, I'm sorry. The first question is, uh, who are some actors who have made great horror movie villains? Christopher writes Andrew Divoff in Wishmaster, uh, Tony Todd in Candyman, Final Destination Films. Uh, I guess he was in both. Um, Angus Scrim in Phantasm, Robert England in A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Sam Neill in The Omen, Final Conflict, and also Event Horizon. Maxwell writes Gary Oldman, Anthony Perkins, Robert England, Anthony Hopkins again, uh, Kathy Bates, etc. Uh, Chris has that covers most of them, but the highest, uh, but the biggest one of all time is probably Christopher Lee. Todd writes in and says Bella Lugosi, specifically in Center Frankenstein. His performance as Igor, Igor is better than his Dracula. Scott writes Robert Mitchum in Night of the Hunter, Richard Wildmark Widmark in Kiss of Death. Uh, Patrick writes in and says Jack Nicholson. So I guess he's talking about uh, as good as it gets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say wolf. <laughs> uh, Justin Justin writes Gunnar Hansen, also Tony Todd. And lastly, friends of Mark Coben writes Vincent Price, Bella Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney Jr., Oh, and Anthony Perkins. Other a lot of classics here. And we got a lot of options, go. obviously. Mm-hmm. I'll throw in, from a different point of view, I'll throw in um, uh, Doug Jones. Oh, okay. It is various monster forms. Yeah, I like that. Um, and then uh, I'll also, uh, uh, you know, the the uh, machines that made a uh, Queen Alien. <laughs> <laughs> or as I call on the show, Alien Queen. No, you, you said the reverse. You say Queen Alien. Oh, but she's the Alien Queen? Mm-hmm. We're going to even throw in here. Um, I'll throw in Lance Henriksen. It's always there, good. There you go. Yeah. yeah. That guy, I never, I, I, you know, even to this day, like when, when Millennium the show was on, I was like, this guy's probably a bad guy. <laughs> You're just so convinced. Because I was turn. like, he's a it's bad bishop. Out. Yeah, this bishop guy. <laughs> All right, next question we have here. What are your favorite films involving adult friends reuniting? Mark Hope in front of the show writes Young Adult and the Blues Brothers reuniting the band. Jerry writes Sleepers. Christopher writes Girls Trip and It's Always Fairweather. That's a wild <laughs> between the two of those uh, and Chris writes Gross Point Blank which of course I'm going to approve of because that's one of my favorite movies ever mm. Friends Reuniting uh, Lord of the Rings The Return of the King boom <laughs> they're all back I mean the only one that's coming to mind right now is one I don't really like called Now and Then <laughs> not about, a terrible uh, movie what about the uh, what is it The Big Chill I rented that on video a long time ago i barely remember i remember vaguely liking it so you know i oh i will say i did like clerks too quite a bit i thought that was a pretty good revisitation of how these characters have not grown up as much as they should sure there you go uh next question what are some movies you enjoy that involve going into the sewer or underground jay writes daylight my first ever favorite film uh, Chris has The Descent, Creep, 28 Weeks Later, and Subway. Friends of Mark Coben writes Starship Redemption, Crawling Through a Sewer Pipe, the very terrible scene. Uh, Jerry has The Taking of Pelham 123, both of them. Ugh, uh, both. Right? You agree? Nope. <laughs> One movie is perfect. Oh, it was an ugh, not a uh-huh. <laughs> nope, it was not uh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel writes Fugitive, also Ratatouille is a pretty good one. Uh, Jeffrey also writes The Fugitive. Win Nguyen writes Bong Joon Ho's The Host. Uh, John has Cloverfield, and lastly, Justin has Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
Thank God somebody finally said that. I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna start singing it if nobody picked that one. I will say this. I threw this question up thinking, I'll get one or two good responses. There's a lot of good responses in this question, so I yeah. applaud the listener audiences for throwing in some great answers here. Um, and yeah, taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3. That's a, that's a great choice. It is underground, and it's a perfect movie. <laughs> that's all I got for that. I don't okay. know. Holes. Hey, where are you throwing, are you throwing in holes in there? They're underground, right? Holes is great. In the Yelnats, the first name is the same as the last name. I don't know if they're like... Underground, they're just in a hole. Well, I guess that's underground. Yeah, they're digging underground. That's a good movie, by the way. Uh, Metropolis. Let's throw that in there. How about that? Metropolis. They're all in, they're yeah. mole. They're mole people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next question we have here: What are your favorite long horror movies? Let's say over 130 minutes. Oof. Mark Hoban has The Shining and Midsommar. Mm-hmm. Chris has Rosemary's Baby, Aliens, and The Silence of the Lambs. I think Silence is. A little over two, but I'll, I'll allow it. Justin writes, well, I'd have to say Get Out. Get Out's most definitely not over 130 minutes, but sure, you threw in an answer. <laughs> pretty pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> over 130 minutes is a long movie. That's over two hours and ten minutes. Thank you. Is that, or are you saying, uh, yeah. well, what comes to mind? Well, The Shining came to mind, honestly. Um, well, we want to say it's The Shining. We don't want to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> Any How others? long is Pan's Labyrinth? Is that a long one? It feels Pan's like Lab it is. is just, it's just over two hours. Yeah, I, nothing really comes to mind, but I'm going to shout it out randomly in the middle of uh, our next segment here. Grindhouse. Well, oh, I mean, that's like a whole bunch of movies. Call. No, it's Grind, two, it's Grindhouse. Two, it's two movies, but it's still a three-hour horror experience that I saw in theaters. Gr- Grindhouse mm-hmm. is one movie. I will stand by this argument. I will die on this hill. Death uh, and Planet Terror do not exist as individual movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, feel free to listen to our singular death-proof commentary that we have on iTunes, but yes. <laughs> uh, there's a movie called The Wailing that came out a couple years ago. It's a uh, Korean film, I believe. That's like 145 minutes. That's a uh, long movie. Is it like wailing like Moby Dick or wailing like crying? Wailing like crying, yes. I should make that distinction. <laughs> That'd be hilarious if it was, a, it was a horror movie set in the sea, in the open ocean, mm-hmm. about dead whales. Yeah. I mean, um, some sci-fi's got to be doing that at some point. Ghost whale, you know. Don't you know? They're listening. Aaron and I were just talking about this. There's not enough uh, ghost boat movies. It's but there's one, there's one coming out. It's more psychological. Well, A Cure for Wellness is like two and a half hours. Like that movie's crazy long. Is that a <laughs> um, goat boat movie? Oh, you're what? talking about movie lengths. Okay. Yeah, movie lengths. Uh, Dreamcatcher is terrible, but that movie's one of the reasons why it's terrible. It's because it's two hours and like forty minutes or twenty minutes. Um. The Conjuring Two was 134 minutes. Yeah, The Conjuring Two super long. Oh my god, that I don't remember what happens in that one. There's a they sing a bunch of songs in their English and they're dancing around. And stuff. Oh, that's that like, one. Yeah, that one is very long. It's the one where they conjure stuff again. Yeah, they, yeah, it's, yeah. There's more conjuring. That's what happens. <laughs> the Conjuring, comma T O O. Yeah. The Conjuring Two. <laughs> uh, Bone Tomahawk's pretty long, actually. Now that I think about it. Oh my god, that is really long. It's Does like it count a, as like? Well, it's like a zombie horror, movie, though? right? I mean, I like mean, the last the last thirty minutes are horror, but the rest kind of is. I, okay. I mean, you know, whatever. I threw in Pan's Labyrinth. I guess it's allowable. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a it's a major hybrid. Sure. All right, let's move on. Uh, next question: Do you have any scary clown stories? Todd writes: I have. I actually have several friends who are professional clowns. None of them are scary. Way to take the wind out of our balloon, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> no, no real personal scary clown stories. One of my earliest memories is being scared by a clown in Paris, and I just started crying and had to leave the circus. It was the 
first time I'd ever seen a clown, and the clown comes out and starts going, and then the lights go out, and the clown, there's still just a spotlight on the clown. It freaked me out. I was like two years old. I still have vague memories of oh. it. Abe, you were running away from a bunch of like uh, <laughs> artif- like Tomb Raiders once, and you got into the top of a train, and you fell into one of the cars, and it was a pit of clowns, right? That's why you have a fear of clowns? Yeah, and then, and then somebody uh, gave me the whip so I could uh, crawl up, and then I also got that whip as a gift. Good, yeah. That's what I figured. <laughs> uh, the next question is, name some scare, or name some films you enjoy that involve lots of flashbacks. Justin writes, there isn't a lot of flashbacks, but my favorite flashbacks are in Ratatouille. Um, does Shawshank have a bunch of flashbacks? Not no. really, unless you're counting the part where he kills his wife, or he doesn't kill his wife. No, that's like the beginning of the movie. Like they, well, they cut back to like him sitting in the car a bunch of times, I guess. And like, drinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But not a whole lot of, I, I would say, not a ton in that one, uh, Justin. Uh, Christopher has Lone Star. The transitions are masterful. That's a good movie. Uh, Michael Lee, friend of the show, has the, the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, oh, yeah. which it's is a, an excellent it's a flashback transition. inside a flashback inside a flashback. That movie, Inception. Um, Christopher <laughs> has Singing in the Rain, JFK, Highlander, and Tomb Raider. Uh, another uh, another wild selection of films, but I like how all over the place this is. <laughs> the Highlander one, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Guys, we're having a flashback movie marathon. Singing in the Rain, JFK, Highlander, and Tomb Raider. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's got one from like every every decade. <laughs> we're actually... <laughs> he's got uh, one a lot, yeah. yeah. Other Christopher has The Hours, which is a highly depressing film. Um, and lastly, Tyler has Citizen Kane and Forrest Gump. Remember when the the box, the VHS box for the hours came, and you're like, "Oh, it says a highly depressing film." Abu, <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. Too, that... Ob- <laughs> too obvious to say the Godfather Part Two. No, nope. that's a no. That's a great one. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was feedback. 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 Let's move on now. Let's get to uh, let's get to a little out now presents what's out now. These are things that are coming out on 4K, Blu-ray, DVD streaming this week. And uh, first up for home media viewing, you have Aladdin. Not bad. I mean, give to, it a shot. Feel free to give a year and eight of these as they go through them. Yeah, Aladdin's fine. Which one? Both Aladdins are coming out. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get. Oh, don't <laughs> worry. I will get there. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, John Wick colon chapter three dash Parabellum. Yes, see it. That's just good fun times at the movies. Yes. Uh, the Dead Don't Die. This is the Jim Jarmusch zombie film. I just rewatched this because I got the Blu-ray to review, and uh, I am I'm still a fan. Uh, Echo in the Canyon. I this is Don't a, know this one. This is a doc, I believe, about uh, music in, uh, in in Echo Canyon, uh, like the music uh, the music business. A lot of famous musicians that came out of there. Oh. Um, Armstrong. This is a Neil Armstrong documentary. Okay, I haven't seen it, but interesting. Who is it narrated by? Um, Werner Herzog. Oh, I love that. <laughs> if only. He got into the rocket. <laughs> If he'd come forth or it'd become a part of nature. It's <laughs> pretty good. We should just do our own. I, I want to find who narrated this thing because it's going to bug me forever. <laughs> it's like someone important. <laughs> you know? Hold on. Give me two seconds. I'll find it. Okay. Someone important. Enough. Harrison Ford. It's Harrison Ford. He narrates it. Harrison Ford? Yes. And do a Harrison Ford. Not great the American Warner Herzog. <laughs> the American Werner Herzog. He's also been making documentaries and films. Yep. On TV this week, we have Supernatural, the complete 14th season. 
you know, honestly, congratulations on those guys for getting so many seasons. I, I haven't watched the show since like season two or something like that. But I've I was like, wow, seen 14. I've never seen more than two seconds of the show, but yeah, it's on 14 seasons, so good on them. It seems like they've had a, a huge following as well, so congratulations again. And I know that they were kind of emotional at Comic-Con because it was going to be their last one, but they have a huge crowd, and uh, kiddos. Uh, the Alienist, season one. I uh, heard interesting things about this, but I... I watched the first, like and I just, I just didn't have time to like keep going, but it was like, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, the Jetsons, the complete series on Blu-ray this week. Oh, oh, cool. Both seasons. People don't know. There's not many show episodes of The Jetsons. <laughs> yeah, their daughter, uh, their boy Elroy, and their daughter Judy. Mm-hmm. Jane, his wife. It's a... What's the name of the, it's the, name name of the robot? Uh, uh, Ruby. I just talked about this. Ruby. Uh, Ruby. <laughs> uh, that doesn't sound right. Hold on. <laughs> I don't I R sounds right, but not Ruby. I want to say Rosie? Rosie the robot. Okay, all right. Okay. All right. Uh, also out, Scar on Shout Factor, Scream Factory, Scars of Dracula, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, and Circus of Horrors. Mm. Uh, on Criterion, you have the Cloud Cap Star. Caped? Capped? Capped? Mm-mm. And on 4K this week, got a few things. Aladdin, as you mentioned, is on 4K. <laughs> is the original cartoon Aladdin. Ratatouille, Finding Nemo, Inside Out, and other Pixar films that weren't on 4K are coming to 4K this week. Okay. Uh, Martin Scorsese's Casino comes to 4K this week. And um, Edgar Wright's Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy is on 4K this week. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And also Lockout, starring Sylvester yes, Stallone. I, did, yes. I hesitated. And this was before I knew you were going to be on the show, or else I would have definitely written it in there, because I knew you'd want to watch it Lockout. <laughs> Wait, is that... Lockout. What what's that one again? Because I'm confusing That's, that with Space Jam, or I mean it Space is, Jail. It's it, Sylvester Stallone goes to prison and gets treated like a white person doesn't normally get treated in prison. <laughs> yeah, uh, D- Donald Sutherland plays the corrupt uh, prison warden in that film. What's but yes, the one it, with it, it him does, and Arnold? It. That's Escape Plan. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Lockout, no, is, not... Lockout is the same title as Space Jail. Yes, Space Jail. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's why I the, get confused. Yeah. I like how Space Jail, like, opposed to, like, Edge of Tomorrow, which is, like, kind of become Live Die Repeat, Space Jail is just a title everyone's kind of adopted for Lockout for the Guy Pierce movie. <laughs> With the Guy Pierce one? Everyone just kind of, like, accepted it without any marketing suggesting this whatsoever. <laughs> he puts on magnetic boots and jumps out of the space station and then lands on the other space station. <laughs> Yeah, the movie rules. I mean, <laughs> there's all kinds of things that are great in that. Guy Pierce as an action star? Make more of that movie. <laughs> Make yes. more of those movies. As Snow? His name is Snow. It's great. <laughs> and they got sued <laughs> by John Carpenter successfully. Like, they couldn't even come up with like another name. They added to like the same first two letters. <laughs> all right. On Netflix this week, we have uh, The Spy. This is a new limited series starring Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, it's based off a true story. He plays a an Israeli spy. The thing that that really threw me off in that trailer is when he becomes that spy and he puts on that mustache. And I was like, he just looks like Borat now. So it's it's kind of ruined it. Like I'm sure the movie or the series is great. It's super dramatic, but that that mustache just made me laugh for a little bit. I mean, the mustache isn't that big. Like Borat has a big mustache. Yeah, but still, just Sasha Baron Cohen with a mustache. I mean, when I think of Sasha Baron Cohen with a mustache like that, I think of Hugo or I think of Sweeney Todd. By the way, Hugo, I forgot that he was in that. So good call. He plays well, that... the conductor. No, he plays the police officer walking uh-huh. around this train station, and while his character's kind of pratfally, there also is some dramatic depth in there, because he has, like, a leg that he's, like, he has, like, it's on, like, a, it's, like, gears and stuff on it. Well, he he, he like, falls in love with Emily Mortimer, right? With Emily Mortimer's character. 
But that was the, that's where I'm like, oh, he can do drama, which I'm not surprised by. So that's why I wanted to see uh, his Freddie Mercury. Oh, you mean a good movie? Yeah, I also wanted to see a good movie. Um, but anyway, um, that's what's coming out on streaming this week. Uh, let's see. Next week. Next week, we got The Goldfinch. Adap- another book adaptation. Another adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is also super long. It's like two and a half hours. Uh, but you got a lot of famous people in this one, and it's directed by uh, John Crowley, who did Brooklyn. So, uh, so I, be I prepared to, to see uh, some really beautiful, dramatic uh, cinematography. Oh yeah, it's shot by Roger Deakins too. So, ooh, really? Yeah. Now I'm I'm more excited to see it. Well, there you go. Uh, last thing we do here: What should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next, Luke Thompson? What should people see in theaters right now? Well, I mean, if not it chapter two, then I would say um, you can still check out Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which is a surprisingly faithful and funny adaptation of Dora the Explorer. What mm. limited experience I've had with the original Dora the Explorer. It, uh, Begins with a faithful adaptation, makes it kind of a Brady Bunch, fish out of water take, and even throws in a psychedelic drug sequence where they become the animated versions <laughs> late in the game. So it's better than you think. What do you see next? Um, I am going to see Downton Abbey, the movie, next because oh, wow. my wife is dragging me to the preview of it this week. I'm so cute. Cu- I haven't got an invite for that, strangely, and I should probably inquire, but I've never seen a single second. I- I've seen no Supernatural and no Downtown Abbey, as I call it. Um, well, fe- feel free to bring me back when it happens, because it is on 24-7 in my house, and I have no control <laughs> over it. So not- I-, I-, I weirdly absorb it out of order, because I don't watch it linearly, like my wife, who just sort of puts on a random episode, so... I'm not sure I have the continuity straight, but I think I know all the characters. Well, I, I'm <laughs> and, very uh, curious if I could walk in sight unseen, knowing nothing about this beyond the dad from or the yeah the dad from Paddington is it? <laughs> Being like, oh okay, like I'm well, very curious well, if I can walk in and like discern something out of this. Movie. I I don't think you can. Also, the insane robot butler from Transformers Five is the serious butler in Downton Abbey. Oh, There's good. a robot butler in Downton Abbey. <laughs> Transformers Five. <laughs> yeah, well. I know that that butler, but he's Anthony Hopkins' best friend. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if there was a robot in Downton Abbey, I'd love that. He but also, by the way, played a chef in The Witches, just to tie it all together. That was a weird random factoid oh, that that's just showed up. Back. That's, a, we, that's why yeah. Luke gets to be back on the show. He knows how the game works here. <laughs> Jim Carter is the name of the actor. He's. Uh, I thought it was Leonard Rossiter the first time, but uh, no, Jim Carter. Right. Abe, what, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, I definitely recommend you go see some smaller films like The Farewell. Um, and next would be, I guess, The Gold Finch. Although people have been saying Hustlers is kind of good, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I would recommend Official Secrets, mainly because we talked about it on a bonus episode of this podcast. Uh, scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It's a cinematic page turner, I've been told. And um... <laughs> Have you found out who this Aaron and guy is? I'm researching. I'm trying to search on Tomatoes. Because I haven't seen that guy's other writing ever. Yeah. And uh, the Peter Butter Falcon that got like a much wider release this week, and it's a nice movie, so I, I'd recommend seeing. Still that fewer screens than uh, than part two of. Uh, I was it's not the lawnmower man, yeah, it's not as yeah, it's, it's not making Joe's war money. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, next, yeah, I'm seeing the Goldfinch um, this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah. Uh, with all that said, that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything that I do ends up over there. But I'm also writing at We Live Entertainment and Why So Blue. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe. I'm more fun stuff on my Instagram, abe.mool, and twitter.com slash wallersmoose, hashtag it's a Pomeranian. Luke Thompson, where can people find more of you online? All right, you can find me at Forbes.com, superherohype.com, on Facebook, search for L-Y-T-R-U-L-Z, 
on Twitter or Instagram. It's L-Y-T-R-U-L-E-S. One day you will you will you will uh, consolidate all of these. It'll be much. Well, easier I can't I can't because my personal Facebook has the L Y T R U L E S, but the public one is the Z. So I'm those sure Marky Z, as I call him, Marky Z will help figure this out for you. I, I, Marky Z, yeah, Marky Z, who runs Facebook. Oh, Marky Z, Marky Z. <laughs> what you don't call him that? <laughs> no, I'm not as close as you guys. I don't know if I. Uh, we I don't know if I've ever. Bunch. Yeah, it's me. It's me, Marky Z, and Tim Apple. We all hang out together. Just trying to. Figure Tim out Apple, how oh, clever. Luke, thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, Luke. Anytime. You can find all the other episodes about now there and name on iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Automatic, HHWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnotpodcast at gmail dot com. Twitter dot com slash slash underscore podcast or Facebook dot com slash outnotpodcast. And of course, our Instagram page, Instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well. Um, yeah, so that's going to do it. Until next week, when we see just how good looking this movie is, that's going to do it. So until then, so long. And goodbye. There'll be no strings to bind your hand, not if my love can bind. There's no need to take a stand For it was I who chose to start I see no need to take me home I'm old enough to face the This isn't Battleship Pretension, where you can just do all, everything you want willy-nilly. That's right, David and Tyler. I'm telling you guys. Yeah, I was like, what, what, where's the David and Tyler hate coming from? <laughs> There's no rivalry here. People just show up on their doorstep and start talking about stuff, jibber-jabbering for 20 minutes. Not calling in with their name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>